Well, I'm grateful to Lash for giving me the opportunity to, to preach while he is out of town. So, welcome. I do have to say it is different from the last time I preached. The sanctuary is a lot brighter. We have a lot more light. You can see folks' face and see whether they're awake. So, I don't know if that's good or bad. So, um, as we look at the end of the year, so many times with the end of the year, we want to start looking and saying, what do we do with, with uh, New Year's resolutions? What are, we, what are we looking forward to? I want to submit to you that maybe instead of trying to come up with New Year's resolutions, let's look at character. What kind of character do we as believers need to have? If you would, take your Bibles, turn to Psalm chapter 15. We're going to do the whole book. Trust me, it's a short, ver- a short book, so... Uh, I thought about doing Psalm 119, but Dusty, I was going to be nice to you. No, Psalm chapter 15. If you'll follow along as I read here. Uh, description of the godly, a Davidic psalm. Lord, who can dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy mountain? The one who lives honestly, practices righteousness, and acknowledges the truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue, who does not harm his friend or discredit his neighbor's. Who despises the one rejected by the Lord, but honors those who fear the Lord. Who keeps his word, whatever the cost. Who does not lend money at interest or take a bribe against the innocent. The one who does these things will never be moved. Pray with me if you would. Fathers, we come now to look into your word. I just pray that you would speak. Speak in such a way that we hear you. Father, I pray that you would not let us leave this place the same as what we walked in. Thank you for your loves. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As I looked at this, at this passage right here, you know, we keep talking about the character. What kind of character do we have? What kind of character do we need? Well, God gives us a, a blueprint right here for character. The character of a believer. The character of someone that is following Christ. Follow with me if you would. Uh, The first thing I want to look at, verse 2. Well, actually, verse 1, it says, Lord, who can dwell on your tent? Who can live on your holy mountain? So David is just asking the question, who is worthy? Who is worthy? I think if we we drill down into that, that part right there and look, who is worthy? None are worthy. None are worthy because we have to go back and say, because of Jesus Christ, we are worthy through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are now worthy to enter into the tent, into the holy mountain, as David puts it there. But let's take it a little bit further than that. Once we've made that profession of faith, once we have been saved, once we have placed our faith and trust into Jesus, what kind of character do we need to have? What do we need to be representing to the world as we go through? Look at verse 2. Verse 2 starts out with this. I'll give, I've got seven different things that, that I want to look at specifically here. The first one is, does the right thing on purpose? The person with the right character does the right thing on purpose. If you look at verse 2, talks about practices righteousness. Talks about lives honestly. I'm going to do to you what I've done with my students a lot of times. I'll look and say, we're going to do an English lesson because I need to look at the commas here. Because the commas separate some specifics, what we're looking at. The very first one that we look at here is the practice of righteousness. The one who lives honestly and practices righteousness. Honestly. How do you live honestly? 
Do you know what honestly is? Do you know what honesty is? Do we know right from wrong? Do we live in an honest manner that what we say matches what we do? What we say in public match what we say in private. What we do in public, does it match what we do in private? Is it an honest? Is it honest? Do we, are we creating honesty with what we do? The second one going into practicing righteousness. What is righteousness? Do you know what righteousness is? I found a, a definition that says, The practice of righteousness means having the courage to maintain our integrity regardless of the circumstances. To maintain our integrity regardless of the circumstances. Have you ever put yourself into or been in a situation to where you want to make a decision regarding the circumstances, regarding the outcome? Well, if I go this way, I get this. If I go this way, I get this. Living righteously means... I'm going to make the right decision regardless of the outcome. If I did this and I get called on it, I will admit, yep, my fault. As opposed to saying, "Mm, maybe not. Well, you know, let's look at this. How do we do that? How do we live righteously? How do we live righteously? We have to have an example. I find it's a whole lot easier to follow an example and figuring it out all on my own. Case in point, I'm helping my daughter and son-in-law redo a bathroom. And we've been setting tile and we've been doing the, the backer board. A lot of this I've done before, but there's some of it that I haven't done before. And I had a choice. I could go in there and say, let's just do it and figure it out as it goes. And if we have to redo it, we redo it. If we don't, we don't, whatever. YouTube has become my friend. (laughs) Because now I can follow an example. I watch several YouTube videos that guys that I'm watching and going, "Mm, that's not how you do that. I know how you do that, and that's not how you do it. And so I went to some other videos and looked at, aha, they're doing it the right way. And so I go and I watch, and they gave me some tips that I didn't think about. I had some examples that I was following. I looked at it and went, oh, oh, okay, now I get it. Now I know how to do this the way it's supposed to be done. So I don't have to go back in and redo it later. With Jesus Christ, we have an example of how to live righteously. Of how to live righteously. If we press on... um, Look at Ephesians 4, 24. I'll read this to you. You put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of truth. You put on the new self. Do you realize that when we come to Christ, we're given righteousness and purity? That's how God sees us through Jesus. But now we have to take that and put it into our everyday life. Put that into our everyday life. Something else in verse, verse 2 talks about delighting in truth. Truth in his heart. One would recognize the truth when it is heard because it would know the truth within their heart. How do you know truth? How do you know truth? How do you know what is truth? You spend time with the truth. 
Do you know how they train, train people in the banks to look for counterfeit money? They give them the real thing. They spend more time with the real thing. And they will sit and they'll look at the real thing and they'll handle the real thing and they know exactly how it feels. They know what it looks like. Uh, by the way, side note, if you ever have to handle a whole lot of money, you realize money is very dirty. Wash your hands after you've handled a lot of money. Um, I learned that years ago. But the way they learn to find counterfeit money is they spend time with the real thing. How do we know truth? How do we know truth? If we spend time with truth, we will know truth. If we spend time with lies, well, we will know lies. But I know truth. If I'll spend time with this, I'll recognize a lie. I'll recognize a lie. I've had people come up to me before, and they'll want to quote a part of Scripture and say, well, it says this, and it's like, ooh, how much time have you spent with this? Don't take it out of context. Let's go back and look at truth. Let's look at truth with what is here. I will know truth if I spend time with truth. It's just like, how do I know my wife? I spend time with my wife. I get to know her. If I spend time with truth, God's word, I know truth. I know what truth is. Move on to verse 3. One who does not slander with his tongue. We would never slander, would we? No. I'm going to take this one step further. How about if we don't slander with our heart? With our thoughts? Yeah, I'm stepping on my toes too. One who does not slander. One who does not slander. Tames the tongue. I want to look at James 3 real quick. You don't have to turn there unless you want to. James chapter 3. Starting with verse 7. Every sea creature, reptile, bird, or animal is tamed and has been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. We praise our Lord and Father with it, and we curse men who are made in God's likeness with it. Praising and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers, these things should not be. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Does not slander. Does not speak out against others. Next part of verse 3 talks, it says, Does not harm his friend or discredits his neighbor. I put in my notes, won't harm others. Won't use others. Have you ever been used by someone to, to get to an end? You were, just, you were just kind of a pawn in their game to get to an end. We probably have all been there at some point. But would we do that? Have we done that? Rhetorical question. Most of the time with the students, when I, when I look at them and say this is a rhetorical question, which means you don't have to answer, I still have, you know, five or six or 15 that answer the question. So, but would we, would we ever do that? Would we ever use somebody to get ahead? 
Sadly, I think we've done it. I think we've done it. Scripture says we should not do that. We don't need to be getting ahead at others' expenses. Just simply don't need to do that. Look at verse 4. It defends the righteous. One who despises the one rejected by the Lord, but honors those who fear the Lord. We defend the righteous. We don't honor those that boast in their sins. You know folks that, that, that walk around and say, I know it's wrong, but right now I'm just having too much fun. I just enjoy the moment. This is great. Uh, yeah, I've got time to do it. If you're going to do this, do this. If we're going to honor, let's honor. As opposed to saying, mm, later, mm, later. Let's keep putting it off, keep putting it off, keep putting it off. Honor those who fear the Lord. Honor those that fear the Lord. Despise those that, re- that the Lord rejected. The ones that are, that are living in the open sin. Now, I'm not saying we should not love sinners. But the ones that are just sitting over there going, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. However I want to do it. I'm just going to live life. There's time later to deal with God. There may not be time later to deal with God. I remember a parable that Jesus told about a farmer who says, oh, look, there's my barns. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns so I can store more stuff. Instead of giving it away and using it the way he probably needed to, I'm going to build bigger barns. And in the parable, Jesus comes back and says, God looks at the man and says, you fool, do you not know that you're, tonight your life is required of you? Honor those who fear the Lord. Honor those that fear the Lord. Despise those that reject Him. As I was looking through this, that one section right there really bothered me. Despises the one rejected by the Lord. I kept looking at that, looking at that and going, that just, that just doesn't seem right. Why would I despise somebody? Why would I despise somebody? That's at a temporal state right there. Please hear me on that. Uh, The more I looked at it, the more this came back. This is a temporal state. I'm going to despise them. If they turn their life around, if they give their life to Christ, that that despise goes away. I now am able to honor them because they fear the Lord. If they totally reject Jesus and they die in their sin, okay. I want to make sure that they have the opportunity to place their faith and trust in Jesus. And at that point, I no longer have to despise them because now I can honor them because they fear the Lord. Wanted to make sure and get that out because I did struggle with this. I struggled with this quite a bit, looking back and going, it doesn't, doesn't work, doesn't work, doesn't work. I read a couple of other commentaries and it brought that to mind and it's like, okay, now I understand it. I'm a little better with that of saying I don't have to despise somebody forever. There's a lot of folks that I know that reject the Lord. I don't want to have to completely reject them. Because if they come to Christ, I can now rejoice. I hope you get that. Because with student ministry, I have a lot of students over the years that have come to Christ. If I had rejected them, maybe they would never have come to Christ. So please hear me on that one. 
That is a temporal, the despising. If they come to Christ, we then honor them because they have the fear of the Lord. The last part of it, who keeps his word, whatever the cost. They are true to their word. They do what they say they'll do. They're honest with their dealings with others. Isn't trying to boast their place or their standing. This is who I am. This is where I am. So therefore, look at me. We've never seen any pro athletes like that, have we? I'm in this position. You should listen to me because this is me. Not because I am walking upright with the Lord, doing what I should be doing, and if God wants to honor me, great. I'm not going to go seek the honor myself. I'm going to give you a case in point. I was here at this church for probably a year before I realized that our pastor has his doctorate degree. Because he does not introduce himself as, Hi, Dr. Lash Banks. Talking with David Allen this morning, who preached the last service, he doesn't walk up and say, Hi, Dr. David Allen. I had a professor when I was working on my master's, Dr. Jim Dennison. When you're in class, you referred to him as Dr. Dennison. I went to lunch with him one day, and he says, Call me Jim. And I'm like, Ooh. Okay. That was a little different. I caught myself several times during lunch referring to him as Dr. Dennison, and he'd say, that's Jim. Okay. Okay. He doesn't carry the Ph.D. on his shoulder. When you hear him speak, you know he has it. But he doesn't carry it around. He's not boasting of who he is. One of the most humble men you'd ever meet one-on-one, when you get him in front of a class, the man commands respect because God is using him to teach. But are we true to our words? Do my words match my actions? If I tell you that I'm going to do something and I don't do it, if I look at you and say, I'm going to be at church at 4.30 today to meet you, and I show up at 5.15, am I true to my word? No. I'm going to get a little more, a little more touchy here. If I have made a commitment to God to follow Him, am I staying true to my word with what I do? I've told my students this before. One of the hardest things that you'll ever come across if you ever have the opportunity to preach or teach if it's from God, it's going to be something that you have to deal with yourself first. Never has God ever put a message on my heart that I did not have to work through parts of it myself. There have been over the years, there were many, many times that, that God and I would have a discussion about we're not going that direction, God. That's not the direction I want this message to go when God says, yes, it is. God wins. God wins, so trust me on that one. But keeps his word, whatever the cost. Even if it costs me, if it costs me my reputation, I'm going to keep my word. If it costs me financially, 
will I keep my word? If it costs me with the relationship with the friend that says, I can't believe that you would ditch me for this to go do that. Well, I gave my word. I gave my word. Is your word worth something? Again, we had a good example with this, Jesus Christ. Verse 5. Who does not lend money at interest or take a bribe against the innocent? This one gets a little, a little, little touchy. This one actually goes back up with verse 3. Does not use others. For gain. If I loan somebody something, I don't look at them and say, well, you're going to pay me back? You're going to pay me with interest? Am I going to do something for somebody hoping they will help me? I've spent so far three days helping my son-in-law work on his, on his bathroom. I'm doing it because I love to do it. I'm having a blast. I'm also getting to teach him some things that he's like, Dad, I've never done this before. And it just does my heart glad when he, when he calls me Dad. You know, just, it just makes me feel good. But he says, Dad, I've never done this before. Now you can. I'm not looking at him and going, well, someday I'm going to need your help, so you better, you know, you pay me back. I, I can't do that. That's not the way my daddy raised me. I watched a lot of our students over the last three years make trips down to Orange, Texas to hang sheetrock. Some of them didn't know how to, some of them didn't know what sheetrock was when we got down there. Now they know how to hang it, tape it, float it, and I think some of them don't even know how to texture it. But I didn't watch them going down there saying, oh, maybe these guys will come help me. No. I'm not using others for gain. I'm going to do for others with no expectation of return if somebody needs something that says I just need to borrow a dollar would you give them a dollar I had kids at school that when I was teaching school they would come Mr. Fletcher uh, can I borrow three dollars for lunch sure I'd give them three dollars they'd bring me back four what's that for well it's interest I figured but you borrowed three It was the way my daddy raised me. If you loan somebody something and they bring it back, okay. I'm not using them to, to get ahead. I'm not going to use them to get ahead. Who does not take money at interest or take a bribe against the innocent. Do we know of situations to where bribes have been taken against the innocent? Do you ever feel like a bribe has been taken against you and you were innocent? To where it's like, and understand the way that this is talking, this is not talking just money. It goes back to, I will help you, but you have to help me. I will call in the favor and I'm going to remember the favor. And I may call on the favor at any point. As opposed to, you need help? Great. What can we do to help? It goes back to, did you keep your word, whatever the cost? 
you realize that what we're talking about here is not a natural inclination. It's not natural that we would do this. We need to work at it. Many times our responses come from our sinful nature and not from the leading of the Holy Spirit. But let's look back at these, at these characters, characteristics that we went through. Does the right thing, delights in truth, tames the tongue, won't use others, defends the righteous, true to their word. The last one is steadfast. They're steadfast. They won't be moved. Do you realize that all of these build upon themselves? They build upon themselves. They can be standalone characteristics, but they build upon themselves. You do the right thing. You delight in truth. Now you're taming the tongue. You won't use others. You defend the righteous. You're true to your word, and you're steadfast. If you were steadfast first, and I love the way Scripture puts it in that order. If you were steadfast first, you would have to be here and then build. Now it's like, here's these characteristics with this and this and this and this and this, and it's boom, steadfast. And steadfast is the stop point. It's like, there it is. There it is. That's, that is the bookmark that's right here. That encompasses all of it. You're steadfast. So as we look at this, do you do the right thing? On purpose. Not because you feel obligated to, but you do it on purpose because you know it's the right thing to do. Do we delight in truth? Taming the tongue. You know, I think if, if, if we were to look at all of these, that one's probably the hardest. That one's probably the hardest. Everybody in here that drives, none of you ever talk to the other drivers while you're driving, do you? With the windows rolled up and make sure nobody else is in the car. And you ask them where they learned to drive or where they got their driver's license. None of us would ever do that, would we? But if you look at this, this is a complete character. If we look at Jesus Christ and we looked at these characteristics... They fit him to a T. This is a description of Jesus. Do you know what the term Christian means? Do you realize that Christian started out as a derogatory term? It translates into little Christ. It started out as a derogatory term. Oh, look at those Christians. Now it's become a badge of honor. In fact, there's times because, because of what has happened in the world that Christianity sometimes takes a hit with people that are doing things that would not follow these characters. So Christianity's kind of taken a black eye. So every so often someone will ask me and I'll say, I'm a Christ follower. Christian. Mark chapter 12, as I start to wrap up. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28, says this. One of the scribes approached when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well. He asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? This is the most important, Jesus answered. 
Listen, O Israel, for the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. You realize with the character that we're looking at, if we practiced the characteristics that are in Psalm 15, we would be loving people the way we love ourselves. We would be showing the world what Christianity is, what a Christian is in all honesty. How do we do this? How do we look at all those? The answer to this one is you probably know. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And it's with a personal relationship with Jesus. Personal relationship with Jesus. You may be sitting there this morning and saying, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, but you know what? I am at a point to where I can't look at Psalm 15 and say, that's me. But His mercies are new every day. Today is a new day. Today can be the start of the characteristics of the godly in your life. And you can stop and say, I'm going to plant a marker here. I'm going to put a stake in the ground and say at this point, December the 30th, 2018, I'm putting a marker. I am going to strive to have godly character. I am going to strive to have godly character. Because you get to the point of saying, well, where do I start? Well, you start right here, right now, right this. You start here. You don't look at it and say, later on, later on, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll pick up this book or whatever. No, let's start right here, right now. Here in a minute, we're going to have a chance to pray. We're going to be praying. I would invite you, if you're at that point of saying, I need to start something new right here in my life because I place my faith and trust in Jesus, Set that mark down and say, right here, yes, today, I'm starting it. And as you walk out this door, you start on a new path. You start on a new path. There may be somebody sitting here saying, this all sounds good and, good and fine, but I've never gotten to the point that I've been brave enough to say, I need Jesus in my life. Today can be that day. Scripture says, today is the day of salvation. Today can be the day that you stop and say, I'm going to give my heart and my life to Jesus Christ. I'm going to place my faith and trust in him. I don't understand it all completely, which, by the way, we don't. We'll never understand it completely with what all he has done for us until we're in his presence. But you may be saying, I don't understand it all. That's okay. If you need somebody to pray with you, I'll be down here to pray with you. There's others that will be down here that can pray with you. If you need more information about how do I do this, I don't quite get it. We'll take time and explain it to you. How do you get to that point of giving your faith and heart and your life to Christ? To place your faith in Him. You may be somebody that's sitting here saying, this is me. And you're not doing it in a boastful way, but you're saying, this is me. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. There's others in this room that need prayer. There are folks that need to start that new path. There are folks that need to give their heart and life to Jesus Christ today. Pray for them. Pray that God would move in their hearts 
that they would be able to say, I'm, I'm, I'm giving it up, God. Here it is. Here it is. Pray with me. Fathers, we come to this point right now. I ask that you would just move through this place like you already have started to do. The God that the hearts and lives that are being touched today. Father, that they would have the courage to be able to step out and let folks know what you're doing in their lives. Father, if there's somebody that needs to start that new path today to say, I'm here, but I need to start over, that God, today would be the day they would do it, and that they would take time to drive that stake in the ground. And God, I pray for those that would need to make that decision for the very first time to give their heart to Christ, to place their faith and trust in you. And God, as you have said, today is the day of salvation, that today would be that day for them. And Father, we could celebrate with them. Father, for the rest, I pray that you would just help us to truly pray and to give to you the things that you need, the things that you want from us. We love you. I thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.